0: Welcome to the Bailieu Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Welcome to the podcast. I hope everyone out there in lockdown, particularly those in Melbourne and Victoria, are staying well and looking forward to an easing of restrictions over the next few weeks. Fingers crossed. Now, speaking of an improving outlook, hopefully, today we're taking a detailed Look at the economy and investment markets. Regular listeners will know LNC C. Bailey, Chief Investment Officer, Malcolm Wood. So what you're about to hear is an edited version of a presentation he has given in the last few days. I should say there is also an accompanying presentation pack. So if you're listening to this Podcast via the email link. The presentation pack should also be there with you. If you're listening, if you're listening through other means, for instance, one of the many podcast platforms that we're available on, you'll need to speak to your ELNC Baylew advisor if you'd like a copy of that presentation pack. So anyway, Mal Wood, the other voice you'll hear on this podcast is that of Ben Taylor, financial advisor with ELNC Baylew Please enjoy what is a very positive outlook for the Australian economy.
1: for joining us this morning to uh, hear our views on the next stage in this market. Uh, So uh, what I wanted to cover today really builds on the analytical framework we introduced uh, in the midst of the pandemic, uh, which is uh, a fourfold approach, analyzing how economies and markets are performing uh, in managing the virus. Uh, secondly, how uh, the policy response is occurring, whether it be monetary and fiscal, and finally uh, the luck or, or management of where economies and markets are positioned to take advantage of the evolving situation. In this presentation, we sort of go a step forward and look at well, what's next in that process, which of course brings us toward addressing the vaccine. Uh, possibilities. And we'll touch on that. And then we'll sort of bring it forward to, well, how are economies performing in this recovery? What that means for earnings, for valuation and positioning your portfolios uh, for this next league. So let's start off with the first of those four criteria. And that's just looking at where we are now. And uh, the top right chart on page three shows the depth and speed, well, it shows the depth of the declines that we saw in February, March in markets. It was the shortest, sharpest uh, sell-off uh, for Australia on record. And then we've seen dramatic rebounds. Take the US market as an example, it's fallen, fell 34%, rallied back over 50%. And as the bottom right chart shows, that leaves the US market actually at a record high. Asia's done even better. Uh, and uh, Australia and Europe are the laggards. So that's where we are, Um, the the question is what next? And uh, so let's go to the next slide and see how we're thinking about the COVID management. And uh, we developed a framework for ranking uh, countries and markets and we look at the top 20 markets on this basis, looking at uh, new case level, uh, the historic case level mortality rates testing levels etc and we bring that together and rank countries on their performance and uh, the consistent leaders in this whole period have been East Asia I've got Taiwan Hong Kong China and Singapore listed there if you look at the bottom right chart on page four uh, you can see that the uh, The level of new cases in these countries by global standards has been extremely low uh, and uh, most, including Australia, uh, have certainly made good progress on containing the second wave now. Um, If we go back up the bus a little bit further, you see countries facing serious second waves now uh, which they have yet to get on top of. That's uh, the bottom left chart, uh, particularly Spain and France. Um, and notable at the very back of the bus really has been the United States with its persistent high level of cases. That's the top right chart, the light blue line. Uh, and other emerging markets uh, such as Brazil, India, Indonesia, Iran have really struggled as well. So uh, we, rank, we rank fifth on these criteria at the moment. So we were a bit w- a bit worse, but with uh, uh, Victoria uh, succeeding in containing the second wave, uh, Australia's ranking is rising again. That's good for, uh, for us. Uh, but the bigger picture is uh, the vaccine and treatment candidates. Of course, there was a lot made out of uh, the FDA approval for convalescent uh, plasma last night um, but really, that is a treatment, not a vaccine. It's good news, uh, but it's not the uh, the 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 solution that I think markets would really surge on. But as you can see on the table on the right of page five, a lot of lot of data in this. Uh, we're tracking the leading candidates, and uh, we've got about thirty drugs, I think, on this list, uh, and. The good news is there's five leaders targeting a uh, approval in this or next quarter. Uh, Oxford-AstraZeneca is the one that Australia's linked to. Sinopharm is a Chinese candidate. Moderna and Regeneron are US biotechs. BioNTech is a German uh, biotech which is linked with Pfizer, one of the, the major US drug companies. But beyond that, there's, a, there's about 11 that we think are showing strong prospects of something by the end of the first quarter. Consistent with that, we find if we look at uh, experts like the super forecasters down the bottom left who try to put a probability on um, a solution to issues like this, uh, they're putting a 45% probability on a mass distribution of a vaccine by the end of the first quarter, 85% uh, in one year's time. That's, they are the sort of probabilities that you rarely see in markets. Uh, so uh, we're quite uh, comfortable that this is great news and supportive of, the, of an ongoing rally. Who will this be most important for? It's of course most significant for the laggard markets uh, from our perspective as investors. We'll come back to that a little later. Uh, On the second criteria, monetary stimulus, this has been a huge success. Uh, So central banks acted aggressively in March. You can see the explosion of their balance sheets that's happened since then in the top right chart. So the G7 central banks have expanded their balance sheets by $7 trillion, which is 15.5% of GDP. By contrast, in the GFC, they expanded by just under $3 trillion at the peak, but that was 6.3% of GDP at that time. So what we're talking about here is a response from central banks that's two and a half times the magnitude the, of their response in the financial crisis that we call the GFC. Really a, a driver of what we've seen here. Yes, yeah, sorry.
2: So I was just going to interrupt you here to ask you um, because I'm sure everyone hears about how there's been massive stimulus, both fiscal and monetary stimulus. Can you just explain to people how this monetary stimulus affects the equities market in particular?
1: Yeah Yeah, so it's um, obviously a indirect positive for equities. because what central banks do is they uh, they use their balance sheet to buy primarily government bonds. Uh, the Fed's also been a buyer of mortgage mortgages. They call them mortgage-backed securities in the United States. And in this particular crisis, it's also bought corporate bonds. That's about as far as most of the central banks go in asset purchases. But, of course, what happens, Ben, is um, I buy a bond off you, a billion dollars of bonds off you. You've got a billion dollars of cash. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit there and... Cash at earning zero, or if you're a European bank earning a negative return. So what is encouraged here by this behaviour pattern is uh, risk taking by uh, by the counterparty. And so what happens is uh, that that just hap- that just lifts all asset prices. And so there's the indirect effect of the confidence that this engenders. In investors, so that helps equity markets. There's this there's this reallocation effect that we're talking about here. Is there's cash everywhere? What am I? I don't want the cash. I want to invest it in a returning asset. Um, and then there's there's also the the sort of the positive here of say you're a U.S. corporate at the moment with an A rate uh, a, a rated credit. So your uh, bond spread at the moment is about 100 bps. So you can lock in 10-year funding at about 1.6%. So what it does is just enables companies to lower their interest expense and really manage their uh, uh, their, their debt their debt profile. So all of those are the positives from this so, um, from this action.
2: So- so Mel, is this what we would refer to as printing money? And,
1: yes, yes, correct. And,
2: and and you know it's good in the short term for markets. Obviously, it's like a uh, you know it's like an adrenaline hit, um, but potentially we'll pay the price further down the, tra- the, the track.
1: Yeah. So what would that price potentially be? Uh, the the obvious one that people worry about is inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, an actual an actual fact that is the target of this particular stimulus the central banks obviously want jobs but they want higher inflation uh, so uh, we should not forget what their target is here which is higher inflation uh, they want to get back to their inflation targets and probably beyond those uh, well, we're I going to need the
2: inflation to get ourselves out of all of this debt presumably so
1: yeah yeah correct correct and you know Australia's Reserve Bank has been at the back end of the bus on this Uh, So we've expanded, it's the bottom right chart, we've expanded our balance sheet by about 5.5% of GDP. Uh, But there's some real uh, changes happening here. Uh, The the Reserve Bank uh, designed this uh, program called the Term Funding Facility, which provides three year funding for the banks at 0.25%. So they're giving banks zero cost funding for three years, Uh, and of course madness for the banks not to lock that in. So uh, that that facility, they'll wait till the last moment to lock it in. Uh, that facility will surge over the next six months from about 38 billion today to 154 billion. So we're expecting the Reserve Bank's balance sheet to increase by over 7% over the next six months. That will do do quite a bit to close the gap between Australia and other countries. That's that's a positive for us, a relative positive for Australia. And as Ben's pointed out, of course, there's been massive fiscal stimulus as well. Uh, so in notably, the US budget deficit is headed for what most people think is about 15% of GDP this fiscal year. So the US and Australia have been the leaders on the fiscal side. But of course, a lot of this has been spent now. So as investors, we need to be asking, well, how, how have they gone in that? and what's next and we're going to come back to the how are they gone question in a moment on the what's next australia's actually uh again leading the way uh so morrison uh under all this fear-mongering about fiscal cliff extended job keeper job seeker and then rolled out a package to help victoria so what we've got is almost two percent of additional stimulus in australia that's leading the world as best we can tell. Uh, The US is in political fighting, uh, so I don't know whether I'll see an additional fiscal package. Trump's done his executive orders, which are worth about 1% of GDP. And Europe, when they get round to it, will be uh, handing out some grants uh, over the next three years. So uh, by comparison, we look a lot more aggressive, and uh, there'll be more in the budget in October, I would envisage. And then finally positioning, and and again here Australia has been extremely lucky, uh, fortunate, uh, well managed, uh, some combination of the three. Uh, So there's been the benefit of the oil price crash, which has been felt globally, but particularly in Asia. As the benefit of Asia's first recovery, Asia went into the crisis first, come out, and of course Australia virtually sends all of its exports to Asia I wanted to highlight the top right chart to emphasise this point about the uniqueness of this cycle. Uh, so what that chart shows you is the link between the Aussie dollar, the black line, and the and commodity prices, the blue line. Interestingly, in the GFC, which is that first uh, bump in the chart there on the on the left side of it, uh, Australia's commodity prices fell 39%. This time around, if you look at the blue line, you basically say, well, what's happened? It's basically just gone sideways. And in fact, our prices are up slightly against pre-COVID levels as we speak. And this is an extraordinary difference, which we attribute to um, some of the problems COVID has meant for some of our competitors like Brazil and Chile, but also um, our uh, exposure to China, who is actually... uh, um, uh, been been uh, stimulating via investment, and then there's the other two positives for Australia from the closure of our borders uh, to tourism and uh, 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 the the uh, global zero rate. So all this positioning is actually quite positive for Australia. Most most commentators have not mentioned this at all, uh, but these are significant positives for Australia in our opinion. So that's the way we've updated this. Uh, Australia seems to us to still be very well positioned on these criteria. Um, but let's have a look at how countries have been performing uh, in this recovery. Uh, so I go from the, the theory to the application. And we look at half a dozen criteria here and Australia's doing very well. The big surprise packet, though, is the United States. No doubt about it. The US, despite the uh, one of the worst experiences on COVID has performed extraordinarily well. So if you look at um, a couple of examples of this, on the bottom left uh, is a chart of Australia's retail sales, just extraordinary. The success of our stimulus is uh, is shown here. Um, retail sales in July up over 12%. That's right, it's off the chart. Uh, the only time in the last 35 years that has rivaled this was the the pre, uh, pre-GST spending of June 2000. So this is really as strong as you see Australian retail sales. They're 11% above pre-COVID levels. The US has also seen a pretty similar uh, strong rebound. That's the top right chart, 8% year-on-year in their core spending, and that's 7.5% above pre-COVID levels. Other countries like Canada aren't too far behind. And then you drop away to the UK and Europe, uh, bringing up the rear. On on housing, the third criteria, US has seen a V-shaped recovery here as well uh, on the back of the collapse in mortgage rates to uh, sub 3% as we speak. I know. Um, yes, go on. I was going
2: to say, for the benefit of those uh, listening in, you're up in New South Wales. Um, I, I guess you can still go out to a cafe and make friends. Down here in Victoria, things are a bit more yes. grim. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it sort of beggars belief that retail sales could be up. Um, yes. Can you just give a little bit of colour on that? Because I think most people listening in would just you know, shake their heads at that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point here uh, in that uh, yeah, as much as, I, you know, I don't want to come across as being callous here, Uh, 80% of the country is operating pretty normally. Um, So we need to keep this in perspective that this is quite uh, um, targeted lockdown. Um, And interestingly enough, um, the CBA card spending data uh, for August is tracking slightly weaker but not a lot weaker than these sort of numbers. So it's and, saying to us that uh, all the other states, particularly Western Australia, uh, which is just enjoying a real re- return here for the reasons that we've talked about with those commodity prices. And uh, now, but those guys how, are doing real well. Yeah.
2: Your, your Australian retail numbers, how um, recent are those, bearing in mind that, say, Victoria's been in stage four lockdown since the beginning of August?
1: Yes, so those numbers there are July. Uh, So if we look at the CBA card spending data, which was released today, that's for the week ending the 21st of of August. That was up 5% in that week, year on year. So it's tracking about up 6% in August. It was up about 8% in July. So remember, card spending, that's uh, credit card and debit card, Card spending is more than just retail sales; it's services as well, which have been the most the most uh, uh, strongly hit part of this. Um, but uh, uh, overall, that's saying to us that the numbers are still pretty good here. And, and we wrote a piece on this: Can Australia cover carry Victoria? And the good news is that, yeah, we're in a, we're actually in pretty good shape and able to do that in this instance. Um, If I just go on to um, talk about a couple of other indicators which are interesting, home prices, the top of uh, slide 10, have held up very well, and in the US they're accelerating. Uh, And then on business sentiment, this is really interesting. You know, again, US 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 cases a day, but look at the business resurgence that we've seen there on the bottom left slide. It's a V-shaped recovery. China, top right doesn't have COVID, um, it's uh, it's enjoyed a V-shaped recovery as well. Australia was in uh, good shape to get a V-shape in business sentiment uh, before Victoria. So we think the last phase of that recovery really requires reopening in Victoria, which we should see in the next wee while. And then exports where China's the outstanding uh, uh, country, but Australia's done extraordinarily well Uh due to those iron ore prices primarily. So uh, bottom line on recoveries to date is China's achieved a V. Uh, The US is surprisingly strong, it could be achieving a V recovery. Australia's looks pretty good as well, although our our commentators are dismissing what we've seen in Australia, Europe and Japan are the laggards. So let's uh, bring this to markets now. Uh, So how, how are markets reacting to this news flow? Um, It's quite interesting that despite the market rebounds, investors remain remarkably cautious. Uh, So if you look at the bottom left chart, this is inflows into equity funds in the United States. Uh, There was a month in, I think, April when those flows stopped, outflows stopped. But as the markets recovered, investors have just gone back to their sceptical ways and uh, remain uh, big sellers. And we see that in investor sentiment, this is Group AAII with a famous investor sentiment survey in the United States. That's still at remarkably low levels when you consider the rebound that we've seen in markets. Uh, Australia's we don't have the same sort of level of surveying here, but what we do see from the surveys that exist is that people are pretty focused on paying down debt and building up cash buffers. Uh, So we're cautious here as well. Companies have shown equal caution. Uh, Australian companies actually entered this crisis in very good shape from a balance sheet perspective. That hasn't stopped them raising more capital. Uh, So you can see on the bottom right chart, we've raised uh, with the capital raising, um, uh, we're we're just around $31 billion of capital raised. That's about 20% of what we saw in the GFC. So we're in a lot better shape than we were then. So uh, surprising ma- investor and management caution despite the market rebounds in our view. Um, if we think about uh, what's happened to earnings ex- expectations, what we've seen there is um, a similar a similar phenomena. So uh, on the bottom left of the chart on uh, page 12, uh, basing uh, earnings to pre-COVID levels, we saw a global cut of about 22% peak to trough in 12-month forward earnings estimates as economies were put into various levels of lockdown. Uh, Australia was roughly around that level. Uh, Europe was the worst. That's the the grey line on that chart. It fell 30% peak to trough, justifiably when you think what's happened to European GDP. Uh, What's interesting is what's happened since then. So if you look at the solid blue line, that's US earnings expectations, that's recovered pretty well. It's uh, recovered 8.5%, it's down a net 14 now uh, on the back of a very strong second quarter reporting season. Uh, Sorry, I should say stronger than expected reporting season. Emerging markets, the red line has also improved. We think that's to do with China's V recovery and better than expected technology demand. Uh, by contrast, Australia, the orange line, was starting to see the same sort of recovery until the middle of July when the Victorian News, I think, overwhelmed analysts and they took another haircut to their forecasts. And you can see how we've diverged there. So really it comes down to whether you think Victoria is a one month blip, as I do, or whether you think this is a, a, a change in direction for Australia. Uh, I think that's where the consensus lies. We'll um, talk could, about I, that in more detail. Mel, I'm just going to pick up on
2: a, a point there. Um, you know, I think our index is very different, say, from the US index. You know, they're, they're dominated by the big tech players, who, have, if anything, have accelerated their uh, earnings through this period, potentially, anyway. Um, and yet, you know, we, we're dominated by the big yeah. banks and the big miners. And yeah. the banks are obviously um, in a Difficult position right now, and I would yeah. argue they're a lagging indicator. In other words, yes. the pain for them could come, you know, in the future. So I guess the the, the composition of our markets are very different, and that maybe yes. tells yes. part of the story.
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely right. And that sort of brings us to looking at um, the, the recent uh, reporting season, which we're in the midst of right now. But I think Ben's point's a good one. If you look at that chart, all the yellow ones are double-digit declines. And you can see it's dominated by large declines in earnings for the financials. Yeah. Um, and that's all to do with um, the what we call collective provisions from the banks. So this is against those future losses that Ben's highlighted. Uh, actually aren't seen the losses yet. They're providing against the possibility that they occur as well as um, that, that's all those uh, bushfires and problems that the uh, insurers faced uh, over the summer uh, and then their investments, which have also been tough. Uh, by contrast, um, if you look, there's not too many blues on the chart for the double-digit growth, but consumer-related businesses have seen good growth. So Coles, Wes Farmers, Amcor, Brambles, um, CSL is not really consumer, but it's done well as well. Goodman Group, which is a play on that technology shift that uh, Ben highlighted, strong results. And then you come to the miners, which have actually uh, uh, held up extraordinarily well, courtesy of that China phenomena that we highlighted earlier. So you're absolutely right. Our, um, our focus or our, our large weight to financials has hurt us here in this short term uh, versus the United States. Uh, the miners is probably a positive for us. Uh, but uh, um, uh, not enough to uh, differentiate at this point in time. So what are markets recovering? Uh, what are markets? Uh, sorry, what are markets discounting in terms of the recovery? So what, when we put uh, forecasts into our out years, it's our view that uh, the markets are forecasting a U-shaped recovery. What do we mean by U? U means it takes a couple of years for us to get back to pre-COVID levels. So what that means 2022. Uh, and so in the US, we think the market's a little bit more positive than that, wanting to believe that things will get back to pre-COVID levels, uh, perhaps at the end of next year. Uh, Europe, surprisingly, as well. Uh, Australia is a little bit more conservative, as are emerging markets in Japan. On the valuation story on the, on the following slide, it's, uh, it's been a, a, an interesting one with valuations going to unusually high levels. Uh, so you look here at the bottom left chart, that gives you an historical perspective on valuations. US is black over 22 times, we're blue at about 20 and Europe is just under 18 times. All of those are around 20 year highs in valuations. The top right chart sort of focuses in on this last part uh, with the uh, with the COVID-19 event. And you can see how PEs collapsed in the bear market and have recovered and are higher now. Now, why are they higher? There's uh, two key reasons for that, of course. One is uh, they're forecasting a recovery, as we've said, a U recovery. Uh, and secondly, they're higher because uh, the interest rate with which you discount all those future earnings back to the present is actually lower. So we call that uh, the bond yield earnings yield gap as a valuation metric. That's the bottom right. And essentially what's happened with the rebound in market valuations is they've essentially said that we're back to the, I call it the post Eurozone debt crisis. So since 2013 valuation ranges for markets. So, looking forward, we think that if we see a recovery um, of the lo- along the lines that we expect, then uh, we should be thinking about uh, earnings-driven markets from here, particularly while central banks are happy to keep uh, pushing in the liquidity and keeping interest rates at these uh, record low levels. So, let's look forward to 2022 under, under the U scenario. The world down Mac- seventeen times. Sorry, Ben. No, I was just asked
2: got a question from the floor, which is, um, yes. will forward PEs remain high whilst money is being printed? Yes. I think kind of answering that.
1: Yes, absolutely right. But um, they won't be as high as they are now because we will be into the recovery phase. So, I think a very reasonable scenario to think about here is one where a vaccine is announced between now and year end. So. I think markets will immediately move to embrace full recovery at that point in time. Yeah. So they'll say we're back to normal in twenty uh, in a year, you know, in a year's time. So they'll move to discount that immediately. Uh, so that'll be a high PE as well, but of course that'll be on recovered earnings. Uh, and then the next part will be interesting, which is all this stimulus which is still in the system. So let's take Australia as an example we've got stimulus that's about 10% of GDP, uh, which will be injected into the economy by early next year. could be more by the time this is all over. Uh, we think that the lockdowns cost the economy somewhere close to 3% of GDP. So the, the stimulus versus the lockdown is actually close to 4 to 1. Now, of that stimulus, we estimate that only about 10% has been spent. So most of it's been saved, which, of course, is why we had the recession. Now, going forward, when there's a vaccine announced, what are you going to do with all that cash that you've built up, uh, Ben? I think a lot of it will get spent. As people say, well, I was uh, saving money for a rainy day. That rainy day no longer looks like it's going to occur. Uh, That is going to be powerful. So we think that the recovery actually will be even stronger than a vaccine we're going back to normal because of the stimulus that's been put in. So we think Australia will end up with a V-shaped recovery, will be a lot, lot stronger than expected. And that's why we think our valuation of say 15 and a half on 22 earnings for Australia is wrong. We're more likely to be 11 times uh, on a V-shaped recovery. Uh, so I think Australia actually comes out of this as one in one of the best shapes of any country, uh, and uh, that will be reflected in the stock market. Um, I think you're right, Ben, that you know we're underweight technology, which is clearly a, a key beneficiary of this. Mm. But on the other hand, we had some serious headwinds confronting us going into the crisis, which we we've sort of brushed away by. Showing a willingness to use the the government balance sheet that we had not shown, so we've injected roughly 10% of GDP uh, from the government balance sheet into the private sector, and that is just that is just dynamite uh, for our country at this point in time. I mean, the bears will say, "Well, how are you going to pay it back?" and I mean that that is the question for another day, in my opinion. Yes, so that's the valuation story. So. How do we put this into investment? So, uh, actually, Ben's part of our uh, investment committee that oversees our asset allocation products. We have a couple of these that uh, investors can uh, can can buy directly. Um, alternatively, they can use our recommendations to construct uh, their own asset allocation. So, where we're positioned at the moment is uh, is, is Ben highlighted we went very bullish on our market at the end of March. Uh, and so we went from underweight Australian equities to overweight. So if you look at that uh, table on the bottom left, uh, the first line is Australian equities and you can see we were actually underweight, uh, but we've actually gone to overweight. That's the black box on that particular uh, particular chart. Now, uh, we had been very bullish on international equities and uh, we we've actually been trimming that and putting that into australian equities as the markets have recovered here Um, and so where we are now is about equal weight on international equities um, and uh, with a focus on emerging markets Uh, we think they've actually recovered well uh, more to go there and they're a lot lot cheaper than other markets Uh, we're by contrast we're underweight Uh, bonds, particularly government bonds, where the yields are less than 1% and we think that the returns will be abysmal there. And when you come to the question of who pays for all this stimulus, uh, it is bondholders who will pay primarily, and people who hate cash, they'll be the other people who will pay the cost of this stimulus. now, we put all that together in these funds. Oh, one other point I should make on this is that we were very bearish on the Aussie dollar. Uh, we turned bullish in the high 50s and we remain bullish on the Aussie. We think it goes at least into the mid 70s on our outlook for the Australian economy and market. Uh, so we translate these, uh, as I say, into our um, asset allocation views. And we've just got one of the funds that we uh, we use as an example here, the high growth fund, um, which uh, over the over the year to July returned 2.1%. Uh, the, 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 our our competitors uh, highlighted in yellow returned minus 5.2% over the same period. So we're delighted with that performance. Um, Australian equities, which is the second for bottom line, uh, fell almost 10% in that period. So. We're delighted with the performance we were able to generate from that fund. Now, that's an asset allocation product just within the Australian equity market. Our key themes initially in the crisis were buy the quality, the built to last businesses, leaders in their industry with strong balance sheet and quality uh, products. Uh, that has been a focus in our portfolios. The second thematic we've had, we called it stops for the restart sort of evolving that a bit to stocks for the recovery um and you know whilst uh, ben's correct to highlight uh the bank's earnings have been hit by these provisions we actually think that that will recover so we like the banks consumer discretionary consumer discretionary actually hasn't done too badly if you look at the bottom right chart a lot of the retail related stocks have recovered they're they're, uh, still down about five percent against the prior peak uh but we expect ongoing good returns for those businesses. We've got Wesfarmers, BAPCOR and JB Hi-Fi as three highlighted. Now you can think about some businesses that have really been hit hard by COVID-19 that could really benefit from a restart. Qantas is an extreme there. You might throw Flight Centre into that camp as well. It's not one that we cover. Transurban in the in the toll roads business, in the leisure space, you've got Star with the casino businesses largely closed. Event, which obviously has the uh, the hotel cinema businesses, they've been really hit hard by COVID, and a reopening would obviously uh, suit them. We've also liked housing, particularly US housing. So James Hardy and uh, Reese are two plays on that. Online technology, R E uh, A, on the view that. Um, Uh, There won't be a collapse in property markets and SEEK uh, on a restart of the uh, job market. So there's a few ideas that you might want to consider in your Aussie equity portfolios. So wrapping all this together. So when we forward our uh, COVID-19 analytical framework for what's happening now, we actually think that Australia and Asia are doing very well uh, from management perspective. Australia is doing very well in a monetary stimulus and fiscal stimulus metric and, of course, is well positioned. Looking at the recoveries to date, you have to admit that the US has been the big surprise. The risk here is with all the political infighting that they don't deliver more fiscal stimulus and this very good recovery to date now loses some momentum. Uh, So that's really a wait and see, as I guess the, the various parties figure out what's best for them politically here. Australia, we think uh, the market is not giving credit for the recovery we've seen, uh, and certainly not anywhere near embracing a V-shaped recovery. China's done that. uh, And of course, vaccines will lift laggards such as Australia and Europe. Uh, On the valuation question, why are valuations so high? It's the U recovery expected. So we expect valuations to come down as the recovery is achieved. If it's a V recovery, of course, those those earnings will come through even faster. But low rates mean that valuations will stay high by historic standards. So the sort of the 14 times that you historically thought about in Australia is probably going to be closer to 16 to 18 times uh, after this is all settles down. So where should you be invested? obviously we're saying equities are the place to be um overweight australia in particular we still like international equities particularly emerging markets and we'd hedge part of that given our bullish view on the aussie dollar and then in terms of stocks within our market we'd be buying a mix of those quality built to last businesses and stocks for the recovery which are a bit more the domestic cyclical businesses and that's uh, that's my prepared remarks so if there's any further questions or comments, we'd be delighted to uh, to respond to those.
2: Thanks, Mel. Um, well, um, probably something that I don't think you touched on, Mel, but is going to be present in the minds of those on the call is dividends. Um, you know, we, we had a flood of dividends in FY19 um, with lots of buybacks and and so on. And then we've sort of come into a drought this year uh, where we've seen Many examples of com- companies cutting, deferring, or reducing um, their dividends. So, you know, many retirees and those who rely on dividends are going to be have less in their back pocket. So, um, you know, that, that's something that will have an impact uh, certainly in this coming year, and and probably likely dividends will remain um, lower in FY 21. What are your thoughts on that? Given the dividends are such an important component of a return for
1: a market. Yeah, I think, uh, Ben, that um, uh, there's been a lot of pressure from regulators, obviously, on uh, institutions like the banks and insurers to uh, preserve capital. Um, If you look beyond those companies, you know, I'm just amazed at the number of businesses with no debt at this point in time. So here we are. It hasn't been cheaper to borrow since Federation in Australia, but yet many of our businesses now have no debt. So they are to, to put a term on it, rock uh, bulletproof, bomb proof, nuclear bomb proof. I mean, it's sort of like they're, they're really uh, conservatively structured at this point in time. So, you know, go back to the GFC, the risk weighted out, the, the capital ratios for our banks, as a share of risk weighted assets was, you know, three and a half, four percent. Now, 11 percent is deemed oh, a bit risky. Um, at the same time, um, I was looking at uh, a business like Fortescue a couple of years ago. People were worried that it was going to collapse financially. Yesterday, they said they've got $200 million of debt at the same time as they reported profits of just under $5 billion. West Farmers, one of our leading industrial companies last week said they've got net cash of half a billion dollars. So I look forward and say, if we achieve anything close to the recovery that I envisage, um, these uh, companies are going to really be scratching their heads about what they do with the money. They, there is no case for them to pay down more debt Well, they don't have any. Um, and they're well capitalised. So I think that we'll see capital returns come back faster than people envisage. Um, and I don't know whether boards will sign off on the sort of level of payout ratios that we had pre, uh, pre-COVID, but certainly, I think they'll be pretty high, um, uh, uh, certainly compared to um, certainly compared to cash and bonds, which will be earning close to zero. But right? that's an important point to make here, that it, there's going to be a little bit of there's no alternative. They call it TINA in the States. Uh, there is no alternative. So if our market was on 17 times, for example, this is a forward earnings, so it's a little bit deceptive. But if we were to say that, for example, and there was a 70% payout ratio, you'd end up with you know, a dividend yield, that's a forward dividend yield of just over 4%. So I think we'll be a bit lower than that. But compare that to money in the bank at zero or um, bonds which are going to be stuck at this zero to 1% for the next few years, some would say the next 10 years, uh, it's, it's going to really push people into equities, I think.
0: You have been listening to the Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation, or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products
1: or services mentioned.